It's perfect. Perfect intro for our show. <laughs> just get, taking a shot to the groin. Wait, before we even get into it, I have I have exclusive video of Josh's congregation from before he became Catholic. I have no and idea what's about to be shown. This is this this is exclusive <laughs> footage from Josh's old congregation that we're going to get into. And you guys can see why it was so easy for Josh to become Catholic because this is the kind of stuff he was doing before. It's, he it's very in. similar to the Novus Ordo. <laughs> Yeah, he was able to just come right in. Seamless, seamless transition. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> What is that? Is that holy laughter or, or something? It's definitely not my old congregation. <laughs> what, but, what, what, what did you come from? Oh, multiple things. By the way, I was just retweeting out the link that I was with you guys and whatnot. So and now you regret that, huh? <clears throat> I, oh, I, I, I commented underneath it. I don't know why I torture myself. So. <laughs> Rob, Rob, you're fine, but but Anthony, you know, being on Anthony, so. <laughs> Keith Nestor, we'll put up with. The, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I tweeted out that you were coming on, and Keith Nestor goes, "Is there any way we can mute your mic and just listen to Robin and Josh?" Did you and see he, what he tweeted? Like an hour later, he's like no. an actual okay. apology, and, and uh, he's like, "He's like, I know sarcasm can be hurtful to people, and I really only are do you serious? I'm genuinely sorry. I'm like, dude. Did oh you think, my goodness! Did you wow, think you hurt my feelings. Are you kidding me? Oh, <laughs> I wanted to. I wanted to reply to that. Like Keith, you have no idea. Oh, he yeah. called called me crying ten minutes after your tweet. <laughs> in in his defense, um, you know, uh, I didn't quite get Anthony's style on Twitter no, but, either but for quite him. a while. I was like, man, this guy's a, a word <laughs> yep. I don't want to say in public. So, uh, you know, he he gets me. He's just he has such a big heart. Like his heart is so big that for him to. Yeah, yeah. Like in private, he'd be fine with it, but in public, like I don't think he wants people to think he's being mean. Look, he's in here. Look at this. Keith and I need to talk. Um, I really like that guy. He did a great interview with Matt Frad recently. I watched the whole thing. I've watched Keith's conversion story three times, and it's it it chokes me up every time I watch it. Yeah. Yeah. So Keith, um, we'll do a proper interview. The, the one with Matt was great, but you and I will do a proper interview, unlike Anthony, you know. Ooh. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. I I left a comment. Um Keith had somebody on discussing scripture, and I was in the comments, and I said, uh, I was arguing with someone in the chat completely sarcastically, 
And I was like, Jesus only spoke uh, proper King James English yeah. or something like yeah, that. He, yeah, wrote, yeah. he wrote the King James Bible. The person was like, are you serious? This is, and he's like, I apologize, everybody. Anthony's just kidding. He well, really you tweeted it. when the word came down about Strickland, you tweeted something like we need a, a group oh. of cardinals to basically <laughs> declare. I thought you were being serious. So when you said that, I was like, oh, my. The best God. ones are when he is being kind of halfway serious. Like oh, that one. Right, so listen, I have. I, I okay. was literally thinking, my like Anthony, I love you, but my goodness, jeez. <laughs> All right, listen, I have to explain something here. So, <laughs> Rob, you used to be the guy who would text me and let me know, Anthony, that one went a little too far. Tone it down, but I've desensitized you so much that I had to ask Josh. Well, no, I just. In. And now, now Josh texts me. He goes, Anthony. Uh, so Molly's in the chat, and Molly tweeted <clears> something <throat> out about somebody that she knew. Um, a tree fell and it landed on her car and the person lost their life. And I wasn't even thinking, I was like, that's unlucky lottery because it really is like, what are the chances of something like that happen happening? And Josh texts me. He's like, um, are you insane? I I was about to text you. And then I saw that you took it down and I deleted it because I was like, yeah, that's really insensitive. But I, Really, that's unlucky lottery, man. That's like when you're when you're driving on the highway and there's been oh like a yeah rock, the lottery one yeah a rock on a cliff that's been stuck there for you know six thousand years and it just dislodges and hits the person's car. I don't know. I used where. to Anthony. I used to have you on notification on Twitter, so anytime you tweeted, I would get a notification. But I figured there's no point in doing a full jet full time job if I'm not getting yeah, paid. Right. So. <laughs> All right, Anthony, so, did you text me about the lottery one, or did I text you first? You texted me, and you were like, "Anthony, that's a bit much, man. You gotta." You gotta yes, take that Kennedy. One. Thank you. <laughs> Says the guy who mentioned us the other day in his video. Josh's book must need a boost if he's willing to go to show like this. Kennedy, but even when Kennedy mentions, you have us, no it's always idea, like Kennedy. You have no. It's idea. always like an underhanded. He's like, you know. The, the guys who are doing it uh, uh, independently, like Taylor, myself, and I guess even Rob and Anthony. <laughs> you guys are getting some great ones. I, I thought the interview with my sister went great. And, oh, uh, man, that was so good. I'm going to be sharing it with quite a few people. Um, I was really proud of her, and I thought you guys did a great job. And um, Anthony, there's a lot about your story. <laughs> apparently don't know about i mean it's it's predictable but but a lot of your story that that was that was a joke that was a joke so, well, but, the thing uh, is, but the when i almost transitioned i'm still recovering from being sick by the way so if people there, hear in my there throat, was a lot too. that i um that i re- that i was able to relate to in your sister's story just with substance abuse stuff and if people haven't been haven't had experience with that, you can't imagine the depth of despair that you go through. But that interview, man, yeah. your sister was so unbelievably open with us and so unbelievably um, like engaging and ca- and, and ca- like captivated me through that whole interview. She was so good, and I was so yeah. upset that I got a headache towards the end of it because I could have spoken to her for another hour. That's how good it was going, and and I I was in excruciating pain for the last thirty five minutes of that interview, and I was just sitting there going like this, wow. and trying to keep it together. And I was I was praying half the time. I was just like, God, please don't don't ruin this interview on everybody. It was just so bad. But you know, it's man. possible it's possible to over spiritualize things. So I don't I don't intend to do that. It very well could have just been a headache. But um, 
you know, and I won't go into details. I, I don't want to pique people's curiosity and I certainly don't want to speak for Nancy, but there have been a lot of things she's gone through. I've had some pretty creepy demonic encounters over the years. None recently, thank goodness. But, um, but she's had quite a few and she's been very open with me about it. And, uh, thank you, Nick. I think it's Nick, right? The yeah. traditional, um, and um, a lot happens, you know, s- spiritual warfare is real. And so maybe maybe your headache was a little bit more than a headache, um, given what she was talking about and, and the forces in our culture with gender and sexuality and whatnot. I mean, we know from Fatima that the, the war over the family will be the, the final battle. And um, boy, do we seem to be potentially, potentially in the thick of it. So, yeah, before before. Um- before we do the show tonight, well, first of all, let's do this. Everybody, please hit like and subscribe. I know everybody, we have to do that at the beginning <laughs> of the show. Chill. Uh, Josh, Josh warned me that he wasn't feeling good, so he may not come to locals with us tonight. We do have some stuff for locals, though. I have a couple things I want to talk about. I watched this um, Tammy Peterson's uh, conversion through the rosary I just watched, which is a short 13-minute video, but holy cow. I haven't God. watched it yet. Is it good? Beautiful. That's like awesome. so well produced. Uh, Gabby After Hours did it. Yeah. And me and my wife just listened to it before the show and we were both choked up listening to it. That's awesome. So I want to talk about that. There was also Josh doesn't like talking ecclesiastical politics. He has like a, an allergy to it. So we're not going to touch on. You can with- ask whatever you want and people can see displayed before them what I'm willing to say and what I'm willing not to say. Yeah. So I, I honestly the, we we it was a weird because Saturday is when Strickland gets gets the boot. And I texted Rob the morning. I'm like, all right, change the title of the video to Strickland gets. Thank you again, Nick. Sorry, I'm just seeing Nick's uh, <laughs> coming from Nick. Well, well, Nick, that's what we're going to wind up talking about because we're not going to do apology. We're not going to do ecclesiastical stuff. We're going to tonight's talk a shotgun show. We're going to yeah, talk so, a little bit of everything. So the we we put the Strickland thing in the title of the video, but I think we talked about Strickland for 30 seconds during that video, and we just had a great <clears> conversation <throat> with Mark Lambert. Mm-hmm. Just discussing general things so um before we get into actual stuff we'll we have a few voicemails because rob and i set up a voicemail for okay. anybody to come call in either a complaint line a joke line or that a one must be full well the, the complaint one yeah there's quite a few so <laughs> rob we, we could go with we'll go with the lighthearted one go with the chinese food one or the chinese one first you said chinese twice but i know what you mean people i have okay. no idea what sort of racist nonsense we're about to no it's just so. We'll go with that one first. Then we'll then we'll go with um, the dress code one, and then we'll hit Josh's question. Well, okay, two funny ones: the dress code, and then Josh has got it. Perfect. Yeah. So let's see. Okay. See, guys, I learned to not show everyone's phone number to the, the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. Uh- I listen to the show all the time. I just wanted to say, um, I think there's a good comparison. The show is uh, like chemotherapy. You watch it thinking you're listening to a Catholic show that's saving you from the cancer, but at the same time, the uh, the chemo, which is uh, Anthony's derailment of the show, uh, is actually killing you and driving you insane. <laughs> but other than that, five stars. Five stars. <laughs> well, awesome. Like cancer treatment, guys. The cure <laughs> kills you. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, all right, we got another funny one, and then we got a couple of serious ones. I just, I just wanted to ask, 
Why does Anthony keep dodging the question about a cat? I have a feeling that it'll be found soon, floating in a bowl of duck sauce. Someone better check up on it. So people keep asking me to bring my cat on screen, but I'm allergic to my cat. So if I bring the cat okay. on screen, my eyes will be essentially bleeding during the broadcast. So I'm oh, not ever going to bring the cat on screen. How do you put uh, up with that? So I'm not. I'm only allergic to it if I actually hold it or pet it. Oh, so okay. if he like actually interacts it and loves it, right? So, <laughs> I don't, well, it's I not just, a dog, so that's good. Yeah, it, it knows not to come near me, and you know, if it does, I shoo it away, and I'm fine. Um, but then we had one, somebody actually addressing something serious uh, about Rob and I's dress code. Ah, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, my name's Raymond. I've been listening to the show for quite some time now. Uh, I'm an early uh, adopter of this show, and uh, um, early on in the show, um, Anthony made a point of, of um, <clears throat> it almost seemed like he was um, being uh, given the idea that being um, sloppy in dress was uh, virtuous somehow. And I, uh, I sent a couple of emails out regarding maybe doing a show on how Catholics should present themselves in public. Um, you know, my my position is that Catholic men should especially adult men should dress as adult men and women should likewise have modesty in dress. Um, yeah, I, I, like I said, I, my, my emails have been ignored. So I figured this is a good opportunity for me to put it out there for you. Maybe doing a show on, on maybe even just a segment on, on how Catholic adult men and women should dress. And maybe a guest suggestion would be Mike church who has uh, pretty strong opinions on the matter. So again, I enjoy your show, but um, I disagree that that being dressed in a you know in t-shirt and jeans or you know just a very casual is somehow virtuous. I think that's the impression I got. I may be wrong about that, but um, that's my uh, that's my thoughts. And thank you for setting up this uh, this phone line. Thanks. Bye. Sorry, I'm seeing Paul Pereira's comment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I was going to say, I think it's pretty charitable that he thinks I'm wearing jeans. <laughs> I've got pajamas. Wearing shorts. <laughs> no comment. All right. Here's what I'll say. Oh, I would never it. present now it. I can, now I can see all the... You all can see the, all the comments now? All the comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was under private chat, but apparently oh. not. Okay, got it. Okay, so oh, so you weren't able to see all the uh, all the comments coming up. Okay, no. So okay, so I would never present the my dress code as virtuous <clears> in <throat> any way whatsoever. What I say is, for me to put, uh, like to dress up and wear uh, like even a sports jacket and button down, I would feel like I was putting on airs, and I always want to be authentic, right? I don't want to try to portray an image of myself that is not genuinely me. So it has nothing to do with virtue. It has nothing to do with, I think anybody that does dress nice is faking it or LARPing or anything. Yeah. I just always, I always just want to be genuinely me. So part of that is um, I don't feel I, it's the same reason. I don't say a prayer at the beginning of the show. I, I feel like I was putting on airs. If we have a priest on, that I'll let Catholic? them say again. <laughs> no, that I'm, Catholic. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, you fit in so well with this show, Josh. <laughs> well, I mean, your guys' whole brand is like blue collar. So, yes. like, why wear that, a suit? That's know? the thing. We want, if we were like always presenting like church teaching and like 
if we, you know, when we had Bishop Schneider on, we did dress up, but yeah. we want our show to be a group of friends hanging out. Like our, yeah. I mean, that's, that's our audience. They are our friends. Yeah. And that, so that's, that's the way I'm dressing. Yeah. I agree with uh, Nick again, Tim Flanders, best dressed Catholic host. Yeah. Flanders is great. Sure. Yep. Marshall is too. Kennedy always dress. Look, it's a, and I'm, and I would, I would say that is an admirable thing to do. I just, Look, I work a job during the day. I work construction all day. I'm not coming home and putting on a suit to talk to you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just not doing it. I want to yeah. sit and hang with my friends. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not doing it. Yeah. So, yeah. and then the last voicemail was actually a question for Josh. So maybe that'll kick off a good conversation. Rob, you're not doing good as the Catholic Jamie. Bum, bum, bum. Supposed to be like ready to go with this stuff. The peasant show. That's funny, Christian. <laughs> Yeah, well, we don't have all the fancy software like them, so deal with it. Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, fellas, I got a question for Joshua, given that he's the resident uh, ancient church father expert. <laughs> I was curious, do we have any evidence that um, St. Ignatius of Antioch was actually a disciple of the Apostle John? I know that's church tradition, um, but I've, cert- I- I've called upon his authority and arguments with Protestants and family members and things over the years, and I kind of did some quick Google searches, and I was never able to find much corroborating evidence. I was just curious if Joshua knew if it was written by mentioned by any of the other church fathers or, or what evidence there is other than just church tradition. That's it, fellas. I love the show and um, I'll listen for my answer. Bye. Yeah, I think it's just tradition. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head where that's mentioned. I, I've seen it mentioned um, before. Uh, it might be Eusebius in his ecclesiastical history. He, he quotes a lot of Hegesippus, who's from the previous century. Um, who apparently wrote a lot of ecclesiastical history, but we don't have his original work extent. Um, we just have the big quotations or sizable quotations in uh, Eusebius's work. But uh, I don't know off the top of my head where that is. But uh, but yeah, I mean, leave it to a Protestant to question just about everything. So you've been going at it, and 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 I watched the way you you handle. Uh, conversations with Protestants online because you have conversations with them. I have arguments. I get frustrated. I usually say something bombastic or hyperbolic, and you, you know, yeah. So my conversations are rarely fruitful. Uh, last week, I actually had somebody who was uh, okay. So here's how I see it: if somebody's coming in to win an argument, I I don't think I'll ever get through to that person, but. Um, you and, uh, Molly has actually made the point to me. Sometimes when you're having a conversation with somebody and it's not going well, other people looking on, maybe picking up on it and seeing your arguments that they're not emotionally invested in it. So that's the reason you should always handle these online conversations a certain way. Who, uh, who's the one guy you always going at it with? Not always, but lately, yeah, this, uh, young man, Ben Zeisloft, I think is how you pronounce his name. Uh, the funny thing is, is we agree on quite a bit of cultural stuff. Um, yeah. you know, he's against a lot of the feminism stuff and, uh, uh, you know, he thinks things like fitness and health and virtue and all that stuff that this is important and, you know, men should be about it. Okay, fine. Um, but yeah, he, he posts, um, unfortunately a lot of, um, uh, uh, silly anti-Catholic stuff that, uh, uh, you know, certainly gets a lot of attention, but, um, 
you know, I'm always mindful for ourselves as well. You and I have talked a lot about this, that uh, our Lord says that uh, we'll have to answer for every idle word. And the thing is, is, you know, as a former Protestant, <clears throat> one of the things I realized when I became Catholic was I hadn't even been doing due diligence on being just like basic justice requires following the golden rule. Um, and the golden rule requires, uh, allowing others what you would allow yourself and giving to others what you would, you know, that mutual reciprocity. And I had only listened to the accusers of the church. Uh, I realized that as a process, I was like, wow, I, I hadn't seen that my whole life. I literally haven't extended the most basic courtesy of the golden rule, namely hear out the person who's actually being accused um, or the institution um, I've denied that to the Catholic church. And so, but it didn't, I didn't realize that till 2017, 2018. And so I think, um, <clears throat> that's why I try to try to deal very charitably, but very directly with a lot of these Protestants. Cause you'll hear a lot of the normal, completely ridiculous stuff that's been addressed a million and one times been disproven a million and one times, but it's still said it's still, it's still put out there. And, um, but I, I have warned quite a few of them. I said, look, you're responsible now. I said, if you want to have a, uh, a deeper discussion, then I'm willing to have it. If you're not, uh, then we have nothing more to say to each other, which is yeah. not me saying you have nothing valuable to say or you have no valid objections. Not at all. It's, it is it um, is we have to deal with basic facts here. And uh, I can't have a, a educated or meaningful discussion with somebody who's willing to spout out nonsense about Constantine. And when I ask them, are you willing to consider the possibility you've been wrong about this? And they show no such willingness. I, you know, it's a waste of my time and energy yeah. to put them further. Yeah. If somebody's coming into something, just trying to win an argument, they're not actually concerned with what the truth of the matter is. They're just trying to win the argument because they're in a public forum and they want to <clears throat> own, own the Catholic, you know, yeah. like, you see how often we want to own the libs and things like that. So Ben, um, just today, one of the things he'll do, and by the way, Nick again, traditionalist. Uh, where where did Nick go? Yeah, just just Josh, man. You don't need to call me Mr. Charles. I appreciate. It. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, but but Josh is fine. Um, <clears throat> no, so like just today, uh, and by the way, just so people know, I offered Ben a discussion. He a private discussion. He said he would think about it. Okay, thank you very much, Dylan. Looks like Dylan answered the question. Um, St. Jerome's Chronicon. Okay, his, is that his? Um, is that his uh, short biographies of eminent men? Is that what that is? If you can answer that at some point, um, Sir Charles. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> um, that's what I was in the UK, but back home I am just Josh, uh, the American penchant for the casual. Anyway. Um, <laughs> And then I'm especially from California. So apparently Ronald Reagan joked that if Columbus and the other, the explorers and whatnot had hit the West coast first, they would have never gone eastward <laughs> because of how, how, how great the weather is anyway. Um, but no, just, uh, I, I offered him a discussion, a uh, private one to make it easier. He said he would think about it. And to his credit, he DM me. Uh, he's still in the thinking about it phase. Um, because there have been times where he'll he posted a video of these men in Poland uh, bowing before a statue of Mary, and he was 
And then he quoted, as many Protestants tend to do, the whole uh, there's one mediator between uh, God and man, Jesus Christ. What they what they fail to realize is that this citing this mediator verse, the, the verse is about the incarnation. It's about it's about that human nature is healed by its assumption by divine nature. And and in that sense, of course, Jesus is the one mediator, because that's ex- what the verse is talking about. Um, right, right. Oh, you know. well, Jesus is the one mediator for us to go to God. But God used a woman to come yeah. to us. So yeah. in a very real sense, even when you're not talking about prayer, Mary is very much so a mediator because she is the conduit through which God comes into the world. Oh, no, absolutely. I'm not denying that. What I'm All I'm saying is, is that with that verse, when Paul's talking about the one mediator, Jesus Christ, he's yeah. talking about the incarnation. Yeah, correct. Because Our Lady, we would say as Catholics, that she's the greatest creature who ever lived, was created, ever will live, whatnot. Uh, but she doesn't have a divine nature. Jesus does. And so that is what Paul is talking about when he says the one, because Paul uses the word one. Yeah. So that 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 description of one that that singularity. Uh, so anyway, he was he was you know talking about how it's idolatrous, and so basically, I wanted to challenge some of his premises. Say you've misrepresented the Catholic faith, um, you know, by by explaining that this is about the incarnation. It's not about prayer. Um, and I also uh, was trying to challenge him on how strange it is that if in fact we're in a kingdom, if in fact we're in the messianic kingdom. Uh, how strange it would be indeed to not bow before the monarchs. Um, I mean, I'm sure Ben, uh, if he was before the Queen of England, would bow. The only person who's not supposed to bow before the Queen of England is a fellow head of state, as far as I'm aware. Uh, So a president of the United States, for example, is not supposed to bow because the president is our head of state, just like she is. So they are equals. Mm -hmm. Um, But anybody else, if you go and see the Queen of England or now the King of England, you bow. And so Ben was automatically equating bowing uh, before a statue of Our Lady with idolatry. So anyway, I I offered, I said, you've misrepresented our faith. You've done it repeatedly. I'm happy to have a private discussion. So he said, uh, he's thinking about it. Uh, The latest, um, uh, the latest word is that he's still thinking about it. So I haven't, I haven't heard one way or the other. So, you know, what's, you know, what's funny about him also is that he sees, he's, he, he seems to have a very uh, like sacramental sense of of nature too. Uh, maybe I'm saying that wrong, but he even today he was talking about churches and saying how bland Protestant churches are, and there's no beauty yeah. in those churches. And he shows a picture of his church and shows that it's beautiful. And my point is the 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 only beauty you'll have in your church is whatever residual beauty you have left over from Catholic churches that came before it, because there was something so transcendent about those middle age cathedrals that we built. And we were trying to build these castles essentially for the kingdom of heaven on earth. Yeah. So you hear the, you hear the, these kind of hollow straw man arguments about how the church hoards money and the, and the Vatican is worth billions. And why don't we give that money to the poor? And it's like, okay, we could, we could give that money to the poor and then the church would be broke. And then we'd have nothing left to show for it in one generation or we could invest into building these cathedrals and these beautiful castles for the kingdom of heaven on earth so that future generations can also go and the idea is you go in and you're actually meditating on being in the kingdom yeah 
Well, I quote retweeted one of Ben's things today about this. I said, basically, now you understand how Catholics have felt with these Protestant accusations of, of whatnot. And I said, remember, it's Judas who said, and I quoted John 12, 5, I think it was, where Judas said, you know, th- this, uh, this ointment could have been sold and given to the poor. Mm-hmm. So people, that's a really good verse for Catholics to remember, John 12, 5. Um, it, was, it was Judas, the one who didn't believe, the one who St. John identifies. The first time St. John identifies Judas as the betrayer, again, another important detail, is John 6. Yeah, the end of the Judas did not believe in the real presence. So yeah. prior to Judas being betrayed around, I don't know, somewhere in the 60s, the verses, um, it says that some of his disciples went away from him at that time. And then he looks to the 12 and says, well, you leave now too. So Judas um, <clears throat> literally was among some of those disciples who left in heart, but he remained within. And so a uh, lot to consider there in, in terms of uh, church history throughout all time, but you know, perhaps especially now. You, uh, you're reading uh, Father Maudsley's book right now, right? Did you finish it? No, not yet. So I'm like a third of the way through it. And um, I, I just read yesterday about um, something about the, the Protestant re- uh, revolt, really the, the Anglican split. And it got me thinking about schism. And because every time we talk to you, we always talk about typology and how, you know, maybe we could look to the Reformation and these other things that happened in the past to kind of get an idea of what <clears throat> what what is going on in the current situation. But like I, I was really trying to figure out why didn't God just allow Anne Boleyn to die of the plague or why didn't he um, whatever there were a, a number of things that could have happened that would have stopped Henry from breaking away and making himself the head of the English church. And it almost seems like if he had done that, there was so much rot in that church in England at that time that it may have infected the actual church. And maybe that's why God allowed a split. Do you think that that there's anything no, to I'm that? No, I'm not so sure. There's a, um, I think his name's Eamon Duffy. Uh, he wrote a book called Stripping right of the Altars. Stripping of the Altars, yeah. Yeah, so I haven't read it. I own it. I've I've heard its general thesis. And so assuming that thesis is, is true and it seems to have been taken seriously by many serious people, um, I'm not so sure we could, you know, there's always rottenness everywhere. You know, there's rottenness in me. Uh, Boleyn, yeah. Um, there's rottenness in me. There's rot. There's certainly rottenness in you. So you know, um, that, was <laughs> that was a joke. Um, but he's uh, my favorite guest, Anthony. Yeah, but, yeah, but uh, it's not. You know. Oh, by the way, um, uh, what I I, re- I saw that that video of you, Anthony, ta- giving the Geico joke, and oh, so oh. hilarious. <laughs> if, if I ever come out to visit and we're around your sister-in-law, I'm gonna make a Geico joke and see what she responds like. So. She's still mad at me over that. I told that story on the Return of the King podcast, and I think they're in the comments tonight. If you guys never saw me yeah. and Rob on the Return of the King podcast, that show we had a fun time. And I told the story of me bombing at my at giving the speech at my brother's wedding, and that's what Josh is talking about. Oh, and Return so of the good. King, I will respond. I promise. I'm I'm catching up on a ton this week because I was sick last week. I'm still recovering as as people may be able to hear in my throat. But um, but um, no, um, Eamon Duffy makes that case, and so um. I think the English church is doing quite well, but what I do think your question is a spe- is a um, a more specific version of why did God allow mankind to fall into sin at all? 
And I think the answer to that question, generally speaking, is that love is always tested. Love, love must always pass a test. It must always prove itself by a test. Um, that's its distinguishing mark from, um, from faith. You know, faith as intellectual assent is, is, um, is, is, uh, it's, it, um, we can always just do it in our mind. We, uh, but love has to manifest, you know, faith relates to believing love relates to doing as St. Augustine said, I just quoted him from one of his sermons today on this. And so, so why we got a lot, you know, I don't know. Um, why does God allow all sorts of things? Well, ultimately to bring in his elect so that everybody who, who uh, he is predestined to be in the, uh, will be in the church. And then those who are within the church who are predestined to persevere in grace will persevere in grace. Uh, how God makes that decisions and why he gives a certain grab. I'm not even going to presume. Um, but, uh, that's the short version. Uh, for whatever reason in God's providence, he saw fit to allow that schism. And because he's a loving God, uh, it was the best of all possible things that could have happened in order for the elect of that island uh, to come through. Um, you know, without that, uh, this, it, it's, it, you know, there's a million counter arguments to this. I'm just making a statement yeah. that without that schism, you wouldn't have had mm-hmm. great saints rise up to be martyrs. Um, you know, and on, and then also intellectually great saints like St. John Henry Newman. And, uh, he, I don't know if he's a saint, uh, but Cardinal Manning, he's a brilliant mind. People really need to read his stuff. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of good that comes from the crucible of suffering, you know, yeah. I mean, we're Catholics for goodness sake. So. <clears throat> I, what do you think about, um, going forward? Do you think we're, we're on the verge of any kind of schism? I, I, I don't see any other possibility. It just seems like. There has to be one coming soon. Well, you know, I think um, the church always survives her undertakers. And um, I will say that um, I think the expectations with this this uh, October uh, session of the Synod were uh, valley low. I was about to say sky high, but I mean, you know, they were very, very low. And, um, you know, there are things coming out from Rome I do certainly find very troubling people. I, I'm not going to reveal the extent to which I am troubled. Right. <laughs> um, but, um, but what came out of the synod, at least in the short term was not what people were fearing would. And so um, I think in, in, through earthly eyes, there are a million one reasons to be concerned about what's going on in the church today. And I am. Um, but I also, you know, I was just with, uh, I have, I have to mention it, Rob, cause I know it will annoy him. I was just with Michael Knowles. Oh, were you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Dropping names, Rob. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 because Margo brings something up really, really important here. Can you get Knowles on AB? So here's how this works. Josh, if I get to know him better, I will certainly help. Yeah. <laughs> Josh will mention me to people that already know me. <laughs> You you think you think everybody I know like knew you first, which is just not true, my friend. No, I know. It's, <laughs> so. it's honestly pretty funny how I'll I'll meet somebody and before I even tell you I met them, you're like, oh yeah, I had a conversation with this person. I'm like, I just met this person. This is yeah, nuts. Yeah. It's so weird. Well, so the point with Knowles, though, I made a point on there that I I think I phrased pretty well, and I'm going to keep using it. And it, it you know we've you know you've talked about the Judas element being baked in, so I mentioned yeah. that. 
But I said, I said to Michael, I don't think anybody here's the great gift of being a Catholic these days is you truly, it's kind of like you get, you get an actual, um, you, you don't get the model picture anymore. You yeah. get the reality. And the reality is, is that to be a Catholic is to sign up for the suffering of Christ. And to sign up for the suffering of Christ is not merely your personal sufferings in this life, disease, decay, family issues, job, whatever it may be. It's not merely to sign up for being persecuted by external enemies. It is signing up, up to and including betrayal and internal dissent within the family, because that's what Christ himself endured. And so I said on the Knoll show that um, I don't think anybody, let's assume we were in a golden age of the church. <clears throat> Even then, I don't think somebody would fully understand, perhaps especially then, would not understand the true nature, or they would be liable to not understand. If they're going to study theology and, and pray a lot, okay, they'll understand it. But if you're if you're if you're just looking at external signs, if you're coming in at a golden age of the church, you are likely to not understand that the true nature of the mystery of the church is to suffer external and internally. And unless you get that, you're not going to see the Catholic Church for what it is. So I'm reading St. Pope Gregory the Great right now, um, his Moralia on Job. It's a massive, it's as big as St. Augustine's City of God and the Confessions, and then a little bit more together. <laughs> um, it's a massive, massive work. Just so people have a sense, it's about um, five roughly inch wide volumes, this one work. I don't on even Job. know he wrote anything. Most people don't. Yeah. So I mention it, though, because he, he essentially sees in Job a type of the church. And so that's how he gets so much ecclesiological wisdom in addition to just, I mean, it's called morality on Job. So it's a moral analysis of Job too. So stunning insights about our moral condition and growing in virtue and shedding vice and how vices affect us and all that kind of stuff. But he has a section in there where it was really interesting. He said, he said, heretics don't see, I'm paraphrasing. Heretics don't see the church in her sufferings because they care too much for the things of this world. And that really struck me as very relevant to our time in particular, because I do believe it will get worse. Um, I do believe, as I remind people, you know, Father Charles Murr, he and I have become friends, and he was talking about this on Robert Moynihan with my permission. I told him, I said, I think, I think it's possible we could be entering the Holy Saturday of the church, possibly. And I said, why is that significant? Because think if you were to, <laughs> let's say an unwitting apostle set up a debate on Holy Saturday, not knowing that Jesus would be dead and in the tomb that day. But he set up a debate about, is, is this guy the Messiah or not? Well, and then Jesus was killed the previous day and he shows up to the debate. What's he supposed to say? Yeah. How is he supposed <laughs> to prove this? Uh, how far can dialectic go? Dialectic just being the art of logical conversation, um, convincing conversation, establishing propositions. How is he supposed to, to prove his assertion? It's going to be darn near impossible by the limits of human reason. And I think it's very possible, prophesied in scripture, St. Pope Gregory the Great talks about this. He has a stunning line. He basically says that the church prior to the coming of Antichrist, will be in its worst state ever. And part of the way it will be in its worst state ever is 
um, visible signs that were previously afforded to the laity and the world will, they won't be fully destroyed, but they will be severely withdrawn. So among those visible signs, he says there'll be fewer miracles. And he says very, a very pregnant phrase. He says the words of doctrine will fall silent. Thought that was very, very interesting. This is in the, this is in the sixth century. This is the end of the five is about the five seventies, five eighties that he's writing this. And he's getting it from the book of Job <laughs> of all books, not Revelation, not Second Thessalonians 2, not Daniel. He's getting is he considered a church Job. father? No, right? That's the answer oh, to the yeah. father's name. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. he is. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's a saint, a pope, a church father, and a doctor. Mm-hmm. So he literally has the four biggest check marks you can have uh, bes- in the Catholic Church besides having a divine nature or being immaculately conceived. <laughs> yeah, so, look, look we, you have to you have to really think about while Jesus is before the Sanhedrin getting persecu- uh, getting accused, he stands silently when they spit in his face. Yeah, right. Like, like you really have to grasp what that means to to actually take on the sufferings of Christ. Really means that in the face of humiliation. Because the church is going through some kind of a humiliation, especially when we're having these conversations with Protestants that we were just talking about, right? Yeah. They're going to throw things at us that, oh, look what just came out of the Vatican. Look what just came Always. out of the Vatican, right? Always. So there's a humiliation about it that you do have to endure. And going about that the proper way, because it, it's a very difficult thing to do what we're doing, having these conversations, to not just voice your like you said earlier, you said, I'm not going to say to the degree to which I am troubled by what's going on in the church, because part of what you're saying there is I'm not going to complain. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's less, it's less, I'm not going to reveal the extent to which I'm troubled. It's less that it's more, I know what you're saying. I'm just, just for the sake of the audience, you and I talk more in private, but there's a few elements here. One I'm contemplating the story of Noah and Noah falling drunk and uh, Shem who ended up being the line of the Messiah. Shem means name. So the name uh, like the name of God, Shem and Jepheth helped to clothe clothe Noah, Um, which doesn't mean they're denying that he's drunk. They're just protecting their father's dignity. Uh, and Ham did not. Ham laughed at him and um, exposed his father's nakedness. Yeah. And I do think, look, I think we're in America. And so there are a lot of baseline cultural assumptions that we Americans make that I think work for our particular circumstance sometimes, but, but are not. W- Americans tend to universalize our political principles, and we really shouldn't. So, for example, um, free speech. Um, Americans see an an almost inherent dignity in saying whatever comes to your mind. Like, that's my right. I I don't see any intrinsic dignity in it whatsoever. Um, And and no Catholic should. Uh, If you say simply whatever comes to your mind, that simply means that you have no bridle on your tongue, which is one of the absolute... uh, Your chances of being in hell are extraordinarily high if you have no bridle on your tongue. And so, um, so uh, people just sort of assume all sorts of things, um, and about, about, I'm just going to speak my mind and, 
you know, whenever there's even with even with the Strickland thing, um, Bishop Strickland exemplified the proper behavior and his behavior is quite different than even many of his supporters. Frankly, his behavior was pray for Pope Francis. Um, he seemed perfectly and I know the man he's he's become a friend and I was able to enjoy a holy hour with him a few years ago before covid. And um, we we've stayed in a lot of contact and uh, he's the real deal as far as I can say. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think Bishop Strickland would say he's always necessarily acted the most wisely. I don't think anybody who's remotely self-aware would say that. But um, but yeah, anyway, I, um, I, I find contemplating the story of of Noah to be very helpful. Um, I mean, I don't want to be boring for your audience. No, but no, no. I, but you're, but there's something to that, right? He, so <clears throat> if if Ham exposes I'm trying his to find a quote I put up, so I'm listening, but I'm trying to find but a quote. If Ham exposes his father's nakedness, that if you even relate that to what we're going through today, so I'm I'm always struggling with. I don't want. I never want to gaslight people and tell them what they're seeing. There's nothing to worry about. I'm, I'm never going to be a Pope's planer, right? So I'm always trying to find the balance between guys. You're not crazy for being worried about the things that. Thank you, Keith. Um, oh, th- I didn't even know you were still here, Keith. That's crazy. Thanks. Um, so I'm always trying to catch the balance between making sure people know they're not crazy for seeing things that are wrong. There's things that are wrong. Correct. Correct. But I also don't ever want to be the guy that's going on saying Francis is a heretic or, or think anything along those lines, really. You know, it's just. You're not crazy for seeing these things. These things are very troubling, but at the same time, the church must endure her, uh, must follow her Lord into his passion. So what we're going through right now, God knows from all eternity what's happening. And this was destined to happen from, this is written into the story of time before we existed. God knows exactly what's happening. You don't ever leave the church because God will fix this. We are all just waiting on God to fix this because it will take an act of divine intervention at this point. So let me take, let me make two quick points here. One, I'm still working on my book on eschatology, whatever. It's just, it's taking forever because of a million other things. A lot of good things. I'm very, very, there's a lot of really cool, exciting things happening right now that um, at some point we'll talk about it in a few weeks or months, but on the show, but, um, uh, I will simply say that it's very, very interesting to me. I'm analyzing more closely, uh, Peter's denial of our Lord. So if the church is going to go through her passion, I basically, uh, argue that our Lord's passion is itself a type of what the mm-hmm. church's passion will be. Yeah. And so when you analyze that, bit by bit it's it's potentially extremely interesting what what you come up with so with peter's denial it's very very interesting i don't have the verses memorized in front of me i think it's in luke luke 22 or something like that but um this is where our lord is telling peter that lord uh i'm sorry uh, peter uh satan wanted to sift you like wheat but i've prayed for you that your faith not fail and when when you've uh, converted you know encourage your brethren it's very interesting that that's what Jesus says. He's saying that your faith not fail. He says, I have prayed for you. And so presumably Jesus gets his prayers answered, uh, just like John 17, when he's praying about the unity of the church. It's like, yeah, he's going to get that. In. When, when the second person of the Trinity is praying, he's actually declaring the deepest reality. He's not just, you know. Yeah. And so, um, so, so he's saying, I've prayed for you, that your faith not fail. So when Peter was denying our Lord, 
what's the logical conclusion? His faith was not failing. It was an example of cowardice, <clears throat> which is exactly what happened with Peter in Galatians 2. Said that he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles for fear of the Jews. So again, it was fear. There was a fear element. And, um, you know, I don't speculate about this, but there are some very powerful forces in this world. I've, I've talked in the past about, you know, the pre-incarnation order of the world was not to, not to put, not to make it sound melodramatic, but it's true. It was an alliance between demons and human beings. Mm -hmm. And this alliance held humanity and thraldom to idolatry. Well, um, I believe the catacomb, the restrainers, the church, it's Christendom, and it blew that apart. And it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing how many quotes from the fathers you have about that. I mean, Saint Saint Athanasius's incarnation of the word. I was just looking at it the other day. Um, I've read it before. It's an amazing work, but he has multiple chapters in there where he's talking about clearly we've had the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity because magic and demonology is dying. Like you just do the sign of the cross and these guys are fleeing. This is, about, this is Augustine's city of God. What do you mean? Like the, the story of the demons going away and the yeah. kingdom being built. That is yeah. Augustine's story of city of God. It's yeah. He's seeing it before his, that's what I, I, I don't mean to cut you off. There's um, no, no, no. people, especially Protestants with this whole dispensationalist stuff that they're playing around with that they, they don't understand that for the past 2000 years, the kingdom was being built on earth. That's what the past 2000 years yeah. were. They think that Christ is going to come back and reign in the flesh for a millennium or something. And it's no, that's what we actually had happen that Christ's kingdom came to earth through the church yeah. and got rid of all of these forces. That was yep. the catacomb. There's lots of stories. I'm archiving them slowly. That's a very interesting J watcher. Oh, three. Uh, if you can post the source for that, that that'd be very interesting to read. Uh, wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, Cause the demons don't have knowledge of the future, but they do have knowledge of causes. So Nick, if Nick is still there, uh, he probably knows this, better than me since he's read the whole summa but angels have a deep knowledge of causes so, so demons would inform these pagan priests about all sorts of things as if it was prophecy but it was fake prophecy because they it's a lot of detail i won't go into it but but angels basically have way better minds than we do yeah. and so therefore they have okay so the other thing i'll say so i'm contemplating okay well peter denied our lord and he fled him so peter's gone and yet that wasn't a failure of faith per Jesus's own words. So I'm, I'm pondering that further. And I think the typology is potentially significant. Number two, I'll say as a Protestant convert, um, uh, I'll do the simplest, the simple version. I hope not simplistic. Uh, for those of you who are Catholic now who are converts or of cradle Catholics, I'll tell you, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of chaos right now. There's a lot of wickedness in the church, a hundred percent. But I'll tell you, it's nothing like being a Protestant. No, <laughs> I man. mean, it's amazing to me. Um, it's a testimony to Rome and her providential part in God's plan that people having discussions about certain things that tons of Protestant sects uh, 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 caved on centuries ago, decades ago, a few years ago. Um the fact that the world quakes 
when there's even a discussion about a possibility yeah. in Rome, I think is an indication of her place in the providential plan. And That's at the end of the great point. Yeah. Like, like think about the, 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 the news earthquake that went out when, when they gave that weird answer to the dubia on the baptism the other day, it yeah. was in every single news outlet because they're having a conversation. Yeah. Well, again, it happened in the Aryan crisis. Uh, uh, there's even pagan historians. Uh, Ammianus, mm, he wrote, it's the penguin, the late history of the late Roman empire. He has a section there where he says one of the emperors, uh, this is a pagan historian. This is not a Catholic. This is not an Aryan. But he's saying the emperor got his condemnation of Athanasius in the East, but he was desperate to get the condemnation of Pope Liberius because he knew that he had greater authority. Mm-hmm. And so when you read um, Athanasius's writings on the Arian crisis, uh, it's the same sort of thing. They're constantly going for Rome. Athanasius... Um, is certainly deserving of all the credit he's given, but it's, it's, you know, the popes are unsung heroes of that period too. And he was constantly, Oh, interesting. Uh, his Lapide's biblical commentary on what book, please. Yeah. yeah please find the exact got a commentary on every single book. I know in so, Eusebius's church history, he talks about, um, after, uh, dur- uh, there- <clears throat> Every year, uh, certain things would happen inside the temple, and then after the resurrection, like while the temple's being attacked by Rome in seventy A.D., yeah, the, that thing stopped happening in the temple because they were. It was a symbol the, that, even though they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant, this thing would happen to to let them know God. The was rope, them. the rope would yeah. turn white. Uh, red to white, yeah. indicating yeah. that the rope. Uh, I'm forgetting it was. I'm forgetting which rope. It's. It, I've actually read the original rabbinical commentary on it. Um, if you actually, if you just Google temple rope, stop changing color after Christ, something like that, yeah. you'll get the, you'll get the references and safaria.org is a Jewish website that has the Talmud, the Mishnah, uh, Targums, amazing, amazing resources. So if people want to, I I've actually, I'm a stickler for original sources. So I've yeah. actually read the original source. I'm like, wow, it this literally that's says a, that's a, and, and if it's coming from them admitting it, right. Yeah. It's yeah, this is, it's a sign that God, God's presence has left the temple because they didn't have the Ark of the covenant. So already yeah. it's questionable whether God's, pre- whether sacrifices were valid or all that, yeah. but at least something was still significant about the temple in the second temple period. So, so for all for the converts and for the cradles or whatever, it, this is nothing like being a Protestant. I mean, even when Protestants are like, well, you're Pope this and you're Pope that I'm like, it's, 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 it's comical. Uh, I'll give it, I'll give a basic reason why it's like, okay, I stopped being Catholic. I go back to being Protestant. How do we offer true worship? Yeah. How do we do baptism? Can we can we divorce and remarry? What about sexual? Can I lose my salvation? I mean, there's a million. I, you go right back to a million and one questions that they have been dividing about since literally day one, uh, and there's no certainty in any of it. None of them have the divine voice vouchsafe for them, um, and, and they're they're all larping, claiming they know what the Bible means. Um, they're contradicting each other. They'll say that the Holy Spirit is the reason why their their version is right, and yet some guy who they'll call a brother. Catholics, I don't think any Catholics are leaving for Protestantism. I think there's a temptation towards orthodoxy, right? Because oh no, I've seen plenty of Catholics 
very no Protestant. Well, I, I, no, there's always no. Catholics that don't know their faith going to Protestantism. I think any well catechized Catholic knows you can't go Protestant. But th- I think a lot of people, and a lot of this, I think, is because of the confusion that Rome has sent out about relations with the East by saying, oh, they're the, they're the, the second lung of the church, things like that. So I think a lot of people get this impression that, well, you're still Catholic, essentially, if you become Orthodox. You just don't have to deal with any of this craziness with the Pope. And it's it, there's so many reasons why that's that doesn't work. Yeah, um, I find that one silly, too, for a very similar reason. I love the Orthodox. When a Protestant becomes Orthodox, I, I half clap, as I joke. Yeah, I do, but, too, uh, because it, it's, definitely a, it's definitely a better place to be than generic protestantism it's a huge upgrade, and it's, it's, a huge huge upgrade. upgrade. It's, a, yeah. it's a sacramental christianity it's apostolic there's i i argue with rob about this sometimes because i the couple of ex- you uh, lose the uh, argument all the time. a little bit of exposure i've had Always. to orthodoxy Always. my my biggest thing that i love about orthodoxy is they understand holiness in a way that protestantism just doesn't because to the protestant mind to have faith alone that you're saved by faith alone, there's almost a, it almost grinds your spiritual life at a halt at yeah. that point because yeah. you think once saved, always saved. You think that everybody that gets saved is in the same position in heaven. They don't yeah. understand there's a hierarchy in heaven. They don't understand the concept of building up treasure in heaven. Well, so, see, some do. This is actually where I would challenge some of my Protestant friends. Oh, please. Yeah, please do. I, I wouldn't right. get an answer where they would, I would say, well, are there different rewards in heaven? Yeah. And they would admit, yeah, clearly, it's obvious. That's then it's true. like, well, then what's, and I, this is me as a Protestant asking. I'm not trying to gotcha them. I'm not trying to, I wasn't even thinking Catholic. I was like, then what's the basis for that? Like, if our works and salvation don't matter, how, yeah. then why is God clearly noting that they matter? I mean, he says that one servant got this many talents and he returned 10, another returned 30, another returned 100. So clearly, there are, there's a, a differentiation here. And that's the thing is that, that, you know, Protestantism is, 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 comes from nominalism. And what does nominalism fundamentally do? Nominalism uh, separates labels from reality. So Protestants will believe, how to put it, Protestants, and this is, this is going to be true for any of us, by the way. So it's not just a Protestant thing. Um, Catholics can do this. I would say not if they're believing Catholic theology, but Somebody can believe something and not recognize the consequences of it. So the point, so like an example of a non-Protestant, let's say a communist, a communist will say, uh, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I believe all of history is material causation, whatnot, but they're going to make the state God because that's just what human beings do because they don't recognize the consequences of that original premise. And so um, <clears throat> so they end up getting very religious and very fanatical about things. So that's my point with um, Protestantism. I, um, I wrote an article about Calvin, his Gnostic canon of scripture, and basically said um, many very orthodox, well, <laughs> I should say, many conservative Calvinists, I'll put it that way. They will say, well, we don't believe in all this crazy stuff that's gone with the whole gay marriage and the and all these moral degradation, all these products, we don't believe. It's like, doesn't matter. You accepted the premise that there is no uh, authority in the church to bind and loose, which means to render on earth as it will be rendered in heaven. It's a Jewish legal term. Everybody knew what it meant. 
You go to the Jewish encyclopedia, it means precisely what Catholics have always said. It means that what is ratified on earth will be ratified by the celestial court. Um, you Once you did away with that, you ensured that there'd be a liberalization on all sorts of things. And the fact that you yourself didn't live out the full uh, implications of your premises in no way means that the premises are, are not uh, a problematic thing. It, yeah. in, in no way means that it just means you don't understand the premises and that for whatever reason, through taste, through culture or whatever, you're sticking with the more conservative version. But when other people work out the premises that you yourself introduced, you can't be surprised. So yeah, the red ribbon on the scapegoat. That's right. Burritos. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The, the, the idea that, um, <clears throat> So, so much of the misunderstandings of separation of church and state and the reason our culture is falling apart is so rooted in the Reformation, because once you throw off the authority that God put here for us, right, like Rome is the authority that God gives, once you throw that off, then it really does become a free-for-all. So you we're at a point now where our governments no longer recognize Christ as king. So you so the 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 way culture has been degrading and the reason you're seeing so much paganism pop up is because for even after the reformation you still these christian sects and and all these different protestant sects still did worship god. The the god of scripture, the god of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But as that wanes, you start getting people not worshiping any god to what they think. You know, they 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 think they're not worshiping anything, but it really does become a worship of self, which then turns into worship of the demonic eventually. So you're starting to just see once you throw that authority off, these different God becomes less and less of a focus. And then once you get that in the governments, where the governments don't recognize that there is a God at all, and we're basically our own. Uh, we're, we're in control of our own destiny. That's why you're seeing culture completely collapse. I think you've, you've said it just becomes a, a separation of nature from grace, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, Luther ran into this problem right away, right away, because it, once Luther refused to accept the authority of the church, which, you know, I've read his letters between 1517 and 1520, he repeatedly says that he will submit to this authority, that authority. And then when the time came to do so, he repeatedly said, non servium. I, I will not serve. Yeah. Um, the line from Milton's Paradise Lost. So, um, but but immediately after Luther did that, some Protestants started coming up who would contradict what Luther said. And, and people would ask the basis. Many times people would challenge Luther, like, you're you're contradicting what Christians have always believed, what all the you know, what's your basis for the Dr. Luther says so. He would have these sorts of phrases all over the place where he would literally, he believed himself to be a prophet. And you have to believe if, if you're going, that's the great irony is Protestants don't realize they didn't give up with infallibility. Protestants have infallibility. They just claim it's with the individual or now they'll say, well, I don't think my church can infallibly this, that, or the other. Okay, fine. The original, many of the original reformers did. Yeah. Calvin, there's a, there's a book, I'm forgetting the full title of it. It's, it was put out by Oxford University Press. If people just type in Calvin Prophet Oxford University Press on Amazon, they'll find it. But it goes in very, very great detail through Calvin's writings. And it shows how Calvin literally assumed for himself a mantle of authority as a prophet. Of course. He literally was doing it. And so was Luther. 
And because that's what you have to do to, to, if you're going to say this, this revelation that God brought to, to show the whole world, um, what we have to be able to say what it is. And if, if, if you're just saying, well, this is my opinion, well, then what is, what is the basis for God holding the world accountable to your opinion in me, 15, whatever, or me and Rob listened, me and Rob listened to, uh, Dan Carlin has a series. Uh, it's actually one episode called prophets of doom about the Anabaptist revolution in Munster, Germany. So it's right after Luther, and it just shows that, okay, so you have the Protestant Reformation, Luther does his thing, next thing you know, these Anabaptists pop up, and they get these insane people claiming to be prophets, receiving direct revelation from God. It is one of the craziest podcasts I've ever listened to. It's called Prophets of Doom. It's a four-hour episode by Dan Carlin. If you guys ever get a chance to check it out. It does have your average secular anti-catholic sort of tilt to it but it's not terrible it's not terrible and dan carlin even says in the beginning like when you have the word of god and a person who's claiming to interpret it once you get rid of that you know authority interpretive figure things kind of just go haywire but you see it with henry the eighth as well because when henry takes that authority on for himself the church in England is still very Catholic when he first takes it. He just kind of assumes the role of Pope for himself. He yeah. changes some things. They still have the Latin mass and everything. But once Henry is out of the way, you yeah. get his you get his daughter tries to return it back to Catholicism. But then when Elizabeth steps in, it's just mayhem. Yeah. So, they, you know, Mary Tudor tries to bring the church back to the church. But when she fails to produce an heir, Elizabeth winds up taking over. And it is just brutal what happens and they they totally neuter catholicism and then they change the liturgy and they get rid of the saints and they get you know and it just shows that once you once you get rid of that authority just what happens which is why it's such a a a very uh it's it's not a light thing for those of us in this arena to be saying things like Francis is an anti-pope or Francis is a her- you you can't be, we will be responsible for everything we say. So I, I really do think it's important that Rob and I never cross that boundary where we'll say, okay, we're, we're seeing some issues here. You're not crazy for noticing them, but I won't cross that boundary. I'm not going to make some declaration on something going on. I really, I really think a lot of people need to slow down a little yeah, bit. Said, said Contra said, when you remove the Pope, you become the Pope. That's right. Mm-hmm. I don't have it in front of me, but when I was converting uh, the year leading up to it, I remember I had some status where I said something to the effect of um, what Protestants call the whore of Babylon in one man, i.e. the Pope, they call the Holy Spirit in every other man. Um, so crazy. What a great that is good. Because Because many of them will claim that. And then some of the more thoughtful Protestants like Gavin Ortland, who I'm going to be having a personal discussion with in a few days. So that'll be good. Um, but uh, he'll say, well, we're all, or James White will say, we're, we're always reforming. We're always reforming. Like as if, as if this is a good thing. What, what do they mean by that? They, well, we could always be wrong. It's like, well, then what kind of faith is that? Jesus yeah. did, commissioned the apostles to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to teach us to observe all that I have commanded you. So what worth is it saying, oh, I'm sorry, we were always wrong about that. Now we're always reforming. Now we're going to the next version of, of how we're interpreting this. It's like, no, that well, doesn't well, work. That's what I, I think that's what's so troubling for people, what's going on in the church right now, too, because so many people did come into the church 
because it was this place of stability that didn't cave in. We see the culture around us completely collapsing, going in this haywire yeah. direction. And it's very scary for people when they see the church flirting with some, even though the church isn't going full head on into it, they're still playing around with this stuff when they're supposed to be the ones as the voice of clarity through this madness. And they're just not. But that happens. Yeah. I mean, I, I came into the church through studying history. And I, so I want to read, I want to read something really quick. You can keep talking while I find it really quick. Cause I, yeah. And then after, after, after you read that, I want to, I want, cause I know you, we, we named the episode persecuted from within because you yeah, did yeah. just write a book. Well, this is about I, this. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know, um, did any of the stories of saints jump out to you that you didn't know before? So let me know when you find it. Um, here was, uh, a line I wanted to read. Um, yeah, guys, if you're here, here it is, if you're just joining us, hit like, and subscribe to the, the one. So this is a line. I won't say when it was from or who wrote it. I'll tell you afterward. Um, but it's talking about a chaotic time in the church. And this person says the one charge, which is now sure to secure severe punishment is the careful keeping of the traditions of the fathers. Okay. When was this written? St. Basil, the great 300. Oh, I was going to try and guess <laughs> the father's of the letter, church. letter two, well, a- letter, letter 243. If people want to look up letter 243. So wait, read the quote again. The one charge, which is now sure to secure severe punishment of bishops, priests, whatever, is the careful keeping of the traditions of the fathers. Yeah. When, so, did, you, when did Eusebius write his book? Which one? Uh, before this. Uh, it was in the same century. But, but, but no, think about that, though. I want people to really – that he's saying that maintaining the traditions of the faith are the surest thing to get somebody persecuted right now. Yeah, And this was 1,700 years ago. Now, what I am not saying is that, therefore, what's happening now isn't concerning because I think there's a lot more confusion emanating from Rome itself uh, that was not the case in the Aryan crisis. But even in the Aryan crisis, there was a brief time where Pope Liberius, I write about this in Persecuted From Within, um, the subtitle is how the saints endured crises in the church. And so one of the, one of the saints we have is St. Athanasius. And um, there was a time where, again, the emperor was trying to get Pope Liberius. This is the same one that the pagan historian I referred to a, bit, a while ago. He said he was trying to get his approval for going after St. Athanasius, even though he had the Eastern bishops approval. So much yeah. for Orthodox ecclesiology. It's like apparently the Ro- pagan Roman emperor uh, or the pagan Roman historian rather knew new ecclesiology of the Catholic church. And it wasn't that it was all equals, all equals. You know? So anyway, um, but uh, he wanted to get Liberius and there was a brief period where Liberius under duress lapsed. He did. And this was known. And for a while, it was a big flag for the Aryan side to be like, we won, we won, we won. Um, now, eventually Liberius fixed that issue, but there was a time when it seemed like the Bishop of Rome had caved and it wasn't immediately clear to everybody that it was under duress. Yeah. That's the other thing. Again, I'm not, I'm, I was going to say this earlier, but you know, these, these eclectic streams we have, um, I'm not going to speculate. I, and I'm not asserting that this is happening, but I have sometimes wondered, um, you know, that, that, that alliance between the demonic and human, 
there are powerful forces in this world that I believe are, are based on that alliance, that reforged alliance, so to speak. I don't know, but it, it has struck me as possible that there may be exertions of influence by such people that we're not aware of. And maybe we won't be aware of for years. Maybe we'll never be aware of it. Um, now, we got to be careful with that because the church is not Gnostic. I'm so... I don't think a situation like that could forever prevent the church from carrying out her role in the world. But my point is, is that during the Arian crisis, uh, a Pope signed a semi-Arian creed and he did so under duress, but the world would not have known that you as a regular Catholic in Palestine or Turkey or Spain or whatever, you would not have known that for months, even years. Think about that. Yeah, the way information traveled. You would not have known. So what would have happened? And this is also where I think one of the things that this pontificate will perhaps help cure us of is an exaggerated sense of the papacy. We should have a very, very, very high sense of the papacy, but not an exaggerated one. And because if we had had this exaggerated sense of the papacy in the 300s, given, given the technology and communication, what we just said, there would have been a lot of Catholics apostatizing left and right because they would have had absolutely zero framework for understanding how a Pope could have done that. And that's, that's not Catholic, ironically. Yeah. So, And the thing is, we're, we're in a time where we have access to the entire church's, like the church's entire history to go back in that you guys really, if, if, if what's going on, is troubling you yet you can ignore it turn it off and stop watching it and go back and jump into a deeper study of what we have left to us by the saints well let me give you a nut let me give the audience another old testament type that i think could be helpful with this um the thing that i've always said with protestants is look there can be times of chaos in the church there was a time in the medieval period where there were literally three people claiming to be pope okay yeah. so we don't if that was happening right now which it could happen because it has happened. Would people be scandalized? I think many people would. Um, and I understand them being scandalized, but but my point being that things can be very, very chaotic and the church mm-hmm. remain the church. Because the thing is, I've told with a lot of Protestants is when the dust settles, the chair of Peter is still there. And so, for example, if I, you know, if I can see the chair of Peter, but then all this dust is going up and I can no longer see it. I, as a Catholic, know, I know that when the dust settles, I need to find where the chair of Peter is and be there. That's the that's the miracle of the Catholic Church. That's the miracle over 2,000 years of all the sin, all the corruption, all the glory, all the greatness as well. But why do we think, and I, I challenge this with the Protestant uh, uh, interlocutors as well, why do you think Jesus gave these promises to his church? He gave them precisely because of human sin and corruption. Yeah. You don't need to give these promises to any merely human society because it's you know, if you, if it if it's just going to degenerate and completely apostatize from its purpose. You don't have to give those promises because it will do that anyway. <laughs> you know, yeah. countless families have done that, companies have done that, nations have done that, monarchies have done that, uh, international organizations have done that. Uh, you don't need promises for a society that you are going to allow to degenerate and become fundamentally contrary to its own purpose. Um, So when Christ promises his church will never be defeated, when Christ promises that the gates of hell will never prevail, when Christ promises the Holy Spirit will guide the church into all truth, he means it. 
And he does so, as you said earlier, the second person of the Trinity knows with perfect clarity what's going to happen in history. So when he's when he's saying that, he knows exactly how that promise will manifest in history. And so even if there's a lot of dust being kicked up and, and the chair of Peter seems obscured for a while, I know that when the dust settles, everybody needs to look for the, the chair of Peter. So here's the point with the Old Testament typology. God gave King David these extraordinary promises of maintaining his throne and that the Messiah would come from his loins and all these sorts of things. But he talks about uh, this glorious dynasty I'm going to give to King David and maintain him. Well, what happened even during King David's lifetime? He was expelled from Jerusalem by his own son, Absalom, for a time. So what would people have said? The point to the Protestant is that anybody can be a scoffer at multiple points after God has made a promise. In fact, Jesus said that they would, there's a, there, I'm forgetting where in the New Testament says, but but that basically people are saying, well, God hasn't come back yet. Like there will always be scoffers mm-hmm. in the midst of Christ's promises. And what I came to realize as a Protestant is how much of my religion was based on mere scoffing. It was like, it was like the infantile uh, teenage atheists who think they're coming up with these great points. Oh, can God create a rock? He can't, you know, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's total garbage. That's what most of Protestantism is. But when you look at history and scripture, there are so many points when God makes a promise and we know he keeps it. But at various points along the line, somebody could have said, as as a certain serpentine tongue did in Genesis uh, 3, did God say? Did God say? And it's our duty as Catholics to say, yeah, he did say. And uh, he didn't say that things would always be clear to me. He didn't say that, but he did say he would preserve his church. And so look, maybe we're, my point being that God can make these extraordinary promises to David about his throne and maintaining his throne. While even in David's lifetime, David is expelled from Jerusalem by his own son. And it looks utterly and completely chaotic. And if you want to go into more typology about schism, we could talk about the 10 tribes from Israel. Extremely interesting. I'm, I'm wanting to study it more because, uh, the reason why they separated was actually, a, in a human sense, a valid reason. Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son, was treating them like crap. He yep. was a slave master. He was treating them badly. He was a tyrant. <clears throat> and when they went to him for a redress of grievances, to use the constitutional language, um, he he hunkered down. He said, "Not just that." He said, "I." <laughs> My I, my little pinky is bigger yeah. than my father's loins. Yeah, you think he came down with a? Uh, he actually said the phrase. He gave you something. Uh, I'll give you scorpions. It was something. I'm forgetting. But, the name, but, but he actually said. But, he said. Um. So Jesus says the phrase, uh, "Come to me, all who are heavy burden, and I will give you rest." Because that is actually a reference to Rehoboam saying, oh, really? "I will double your burden." Oh, interesting. So Jesus is actually saying, "Come to me. My burden is light." Ah, and and that actually is a reference to Rehoboam. There. Interesting. So, yeah, he he doubles that. He says, "My my father, my pinky, my little pinky's bigger than my father's." Yeah, you know, it's pretty. Yeah. Gr- it's actually pretty crass what he says. So yeah, well, there's a lot of that in the Old Testament, but so the point being that they had a valid reason, in a human sense, to yeah. break away, but of course, before God, their reason wasn't valid, and mm-hmm. so it's a real picture of all forms of schism, all forms of heresy. And the um, the apparent reason I did find the Pope Gregory quote about suffering and heretics and all that. 
Let me read it to you guys really quick. It's really interesting. Super, super interesting. Um, Where'd it go? Uh, Wait. Ah, I did have it. (laughs) Uh, uh, I'll talk for a second. So even what Josh is saying here, it's like the people that are bailing on one Pope, when you look back on church history, you kind of see it with rose colored glasses and we kind of see it like, Oh, everything's always been great. The church has always done this perfectly in it. It really has been quite messy. And there have been periods of time where it was so messy that it's a miracle. People stayed in the church. We're in a messy time right now. You don't bail in the middle of the messiness. Give the church some time to let the dust settle. Yeah. And, and let's see how things turn out. I can see if this goes on, for a prolonged period of time after this current debacle, but I don't think it's going to, I really do. I am so hopeful that God is going to intervene. Now, careful what you wish for, because God doesn't intervene in some easy way. Sometimes, sometimes it's a very, I mean, you listen to Tammy Peterson's story, even what I just listened to. And it's God gets her attention by giving the woman cancer. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't always go the way you think it's going to. So Everybody be careful what you pray for. But the so here is the line from Pope Gregory the Great, Moralian Job, for people who are fastidious about sourcing as I am. It's book three, chapter 21, section 41. And then a second quote from chapter 24, section 47, just to be clear. Um, he says, the body of the Redeemer, that is Holy Church, bears the burden of sorrow in such a way as not to transgress the bounds of humility. And he says, to be sure... Heretics lift up their eyes to consider what Holy Church does. Obviously, they are below, and when they look at what the church does, what they see is situated in a higher region. For all that, they do not recognize her in her painful position. She indeed wishes to experience misfortune here on earth, that she may be purified and reach the reward of eternal life. She often fears the church. She often fears prosperity and is gladdened by discipline and instruction. The heretics love the present life very much, and that is why they do not recognize the church when she is covered with wounds. What they do see in her, they do not reflect upon in the thoughts of their hearts. Accordingly, when she profits by adversity, they remain stupidly unmoved because they do not know by experience what their eyes behold. Yeah. Yeah, Think about we, that. The, the Pope Gregor the Great says heretics do not recognize the church when she's suffering. Mm-hmm. Now I say that because let's let's get a little close to to the issue here. A lot of Catholics don't see the church when she's suffering. Just like a lot of people didn't see the Messiah when he was suffering. They Correct. said oh. You know, it really and is. And he warned that. them over and over and over and you over. Think about that, right? Again. Throughout the Gospels, you hear Jesus telling them over and over the, that I will be ground up. I am going to be handed over and crucified. He tells them. Yeah. And they still are just floored when it happens. It's Yeah. And he and with the church tells us that the church will follow our the church will follow our Lord into his passion. We know it. It's in our catechism. It's been in our catechism and we still are baffled as it's happening. I don't understand how people could not see. Not only is this not something that you should lose faith over. It should increase your faith. You're witnessing prophecy being fulfilled right now. Well, and I was just in London um, and I, I went to confession at Westminster cathedral and it was it was beautiful being there because like it was it's always fun to travel in the world and visit another Catholic church and go to mass. It's like 
you know, there's liturgy wars in the church, or whatever. It's the same mass. Yeah. I know what I'm doing when I'm there, even if it's in a different language. I know what I'm doing. I, I know what the other Catholics are doing. When I went to confession in the middle of one of the most godless cities in the whole world, it was a long line. And that was beautiful to me. So the life of the church goes on. The mm-hmm. drama at the top is what it is. But as a friend of mine in London said, the drama at the top, I forget how he phrased it. He phrased it beautifully. But he basically said, don't look at the drama at the top. The Holy Spirit is working from the bottom up. And I I am seeing so many people convert. There are people leaving. We know for a fact there are people leaving. But one of the great things that God uses these these things for is is frankly to, um, sometimes he does, as you implied earlier with the English schism, sometimes he does it precisely to bring out those who will be the stronger members of the church um, and to shake loose those who will be weaker members. Uh, none of that should induce pride in any of us. We shouldn't presume that we are one of the strong ones or we won't end up one of the weak ones. Not at all. But when all is said and done, when you look back on history, that's precisely what happens in so many cases. God always raises up the saints that are needed in each particular time. And it was just, it was beautiful to see that Catholicity. I mean, I know it's the UK. It's about as close to the Amer- America as you can get in a foreign country. But I've been to other foreign countries and been to mass there. And it's its just beautiful. The church is still the church. Yeah, you were just and, in, uh, you were just in um, Kiev or. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah, I was um, in Kiev. Josh, do you, do, you have to, do you have another half hour or you got to split? I'm fine. Yeah, You're I'd fine. rather, I'd rather us be able to be public so that people aren't restricted for the locals thing. If possible, yeah. So yeah, yeah it's it's um yeah. But if if you gotta go, and I know you told me you were you were feeling a little. No, little my throat, my throat. I was said we'll see how my throat's going. So far, it's fine. It's a little scratchy, but it's fine. It's fine. All right. So we're not gonna go to locals tonight. We're gonna stay on YouTube. But if you guys are checking this out, Rob and I do give exclusive content over on locals. We would love it if you guys would consider supporting us, but we're going to give the whole show over here tonight. So So Aaron, um, Aaron, I'm going to give the citation for the Pope Gregory thing one more time. Although it's on my Facebook. So if you look it up, uh, type in Gregory heretics, this world, if you want to find that on my Facebook, but the citations are get ready to write it down. Five, four, three, two, one. Here it is. Book three, chapter 21, section 41 and then book three chapter 24 section 47 those are the citations for that one about heretics and i always cite my sources um and people can see in the replay now so don don always gets mad when we don't go to locals because he feels like he's getting ripped off (laughs) oh really oh rob don't worry about don no screw don Oh, Don. I thought you said, said Rob for some reason. No, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> don't worry about yeah. Don. Don's not going it's actually anywhere. it's way easier for me after the show when we don't go to locals because then I don't have to split it up and yeah. upload two versions. And so, so, all right. So, when you all right, so you just wrote the book, Suffering, uh, Persecuted from Within. Were there any saints that you looked up and wrote about? Because I know you only wrote uh, half the chapters in it. You wrote a few of the chapters in the book, and you had a co-author for it. Did Were there any new saints that you discovered that you were actually blown away by? Which one was your favorite one to write about? Yeah, um, <clears throat> and I, I need to review some of the stories because I've forgotten some of the details, honestly. Um, but uh, yeah, St. Mary MacKillop, uh, she was a religious in Australia, I believe. And then the details of St. Bruno and St. Catherine, uh, uh, St. John of the Cross, 
Um, St. Alphonsus Liguori faced quite a bit of um, persecution, but one I really liked was St. Joan of Arc. And I knew the basics of her story, but I found a book that basically contained, um, it was the only, as far as I could tell, it was the only English book, English translated book with like multiple documents from her whole court case. So, and I'm an original sources guy, like almost all these books are original sources. Um, and so, um, Aurora Virgin, she's doing you guys help 205. Is that a lot? Well, we're at 212 now too. Um, for usually we would get between like 70 and 130 for a live show. Wow. So, 213 is a pretty big live show. That's yeah. why I retweeted yeah. it at the, at the beginning. So. Well, I, honestly, even when you uh, you retweeted your sister's interview and I saw you had like 3,500 views just on your stream oh, wow. that, that you retweeted, you know? So, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but you, you were just saying also uh, all the conversions you've been seeing, right? I mean, yeah. we're talking about this mess that we're in right now. I have witnessed so many conversions in the past under the Francis Pontificate that yeah. I ever did under Benedict. And you right like all i mean nick keith yeah man all these people that are still coming in under the church look a part of what um because we get that it's not about the occupant of any particular office we get that if if you're coming to the catholic church sorry one but if you're coming to the catholic church because you think it's perfectly peaceful all the time that's not a valid reason to become catholic no way like like many protestants work from this caricature and Perhaps some apologists have given them this perspective. I haven't seen the persp- the apologist who talks this way, but they 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 speak as if we, we become Catholic because we finally have this sort of platonic perfection in our mind of what the church is, and we enter. It's like oh, it's like no, not at all, not yeah. at all. There's utter and complete. I I, I joked with uh, the the Mormon family. I I spawned ex well ex Mormon, thank goodness, uh, that came into the church, and I as as they came back, they had just been confirmed. And um, they just received our Lord for the, I think it was right after they received our Lord. And I, I leaned over to the mom. I said, welcome to the biggest, most dysfunctional family in the world. And I will say as somebody who comes from a family that uh, divorced, um, it's a big deal that people mm-hmm. remain in the house. Doors may be slammed. People may be screaming. And that's not fun either. I get it. But it's a big <laughs> to quote our current president uh, from a number of years ago, it's a big effing deal when Christians remain in the house. Like, I don't think most Catholics realize how big of a deal that is. There has never been, people need to understand this, the Roman Empire lasted for a thousand years. That's the longest lasting empire in world history, okay? You could even argue a little bit longer if you include the eastern half that fell with Constanzo. Okay. So let's say 1,200, 1,400, 1,500 years, whatever. The Catholic Church has still been around longer than that. There's been a single contiguous society for 2,000 plus years now calling itself the exact same thing, maintaining the same essential faith with its with chief, succession with of its office holder. You can trace all the way back all those 2000 years. There's never been anything like this. And there's the nothing the like world. that in the history of the world. Nothing, nothing, it's a miracle. So mm-hmm. it, when, if Protestants want it, well, I don't see fruit in the Catholic church. Well, you know what? If the 2000 years ain't going to do it for you. And if the distinction of that 
with the endless division and the seemingly increasingly endless and 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 uh, rapidly increasing division in Protestantism in just 500, I don't know what. I don't know what to tell you. Right? Yeah. Look, I don't know look they have you. their split, and they it's 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 just an endless fracturing. There's right? lots of bad Catholics. There are lots of bad yeah. Catholics. One of my favorite sermons from St. Augustine, Sermon 224 or something like that, is to new converts on Easter. It might have been Saturday vigil, but you know, Easter. And he's saying, I'm less afraid of you because of pagans, heretics, and schismatics and Jews. I'm more afraid of you because of bad Catholics. So yeah. he's like, now that you're in the church, find those, the few who are truly following Christ and associate with them because the way is still narrow. Like Protestants oftentimes don't realize that we Catholics think that just because you Catholic doesn't mean you're going to heaven. <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, by, but we're, we don't believe devout. the label gets to heaven. But, but all that to say, I love history. I came to the church through history. Historian, people need to realize this. There is nothing like the Catholic church in history. Nothing. That is not triumphalism. I can say that while saying in the midst of tons of corruption, the clergy try, I, as I joked the other day on Twitter, despite all the Catholic attempts to scuttle it, there's nothing, mm -hmm. there's nothing like the Catholic church in history. And so, um, you know, there was a story of, um, I'm forgetting his name from Chicago. He died a few years ago, but a great oh, Cardinal, Cardinal, George. Cardinal George. Yeah. So he, he had just come out of the conclave that elected Pope Benedict the 16th. And he was on the balcony with Pope Benedict as he came out to greet oh, the people. Oh, was he? I never knew that. Yeah. And I I, uh, I visited uh, St. Peter's in 2020 and, and went to the top of the dome. And so I was I love history. And so on, on my left peripheral, I've got the uh, Fort St. Angelo. And then on my right peripheral, like, you know, past even the Coliseum. And I was just imagining the amount of history that has happened <laughs> in just my viewpoint. It was just it was awe-inspiring. So anyway, I, I had a similar view is my point, uh, a little bit higher, but similar view. So Cardinal George was on there and he was like this. And somebody asked him, you know, something like Cardinal, it looked like you were uh, your eminence. It looked like you were like he really thought. thoughtful about something or yeah. were you upset? Or he's like, he's like, no, I was just thinking like, what were you thinking about? He's like, I was pondering any, I, he said it much more, uh, 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 what's the, what's the darn word? Eloquently. I'm, eloquently. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. He said it much more eloquently, but he essentially said something to the effect of, I was pondering the fact, looking over at the Coliseum, that the Caesars are dead and gone, but here I am right next to the successor of the fisherman who's still here 2,000 years later. And that he is standing there next to him, right? Next to him. That has to be mind-blowing. Yeah. I, am, I am here witnessing a continuation of this, the like really, the fisherman. The yeah. fisherman who has who has succeeded throughout time. What Can I read people another really cool quote? I have to find. Yeah, I have to just say this about I think, the I don't, think we, I don't think we ponder enough the miracle that is the church, man. I'm so glad we actually talked about this for a few minutes because you really do need to think about the miraculous <clears> nature <throat> of the church herself, man. Go ahead, read it. So this is from Saint Augustine, and it's very interesting. Saint Augustine, he was huge for me on this because becoming Catholic and realizing Protestantism was just a LARP of Christianity. I'm not saying that against individual Protestants. I'm saying it against Protestantism. Um, I, I, I didn't know better. Most Protestants don't know better. So Catholics need to realize that. And by the way, I have seen so much fruit from the Twitter stuff. 
I, I recently had a, a, a guy at a big church in Texas. I won't say where, but Anthony actually had. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, Josh is tired. Right? Yeah. He's actually jumping. Yeah. No, this has happened a, d- a d- decent number of times. I'm just like, oh, gosh. No, so but but also but, thank you guys for those uh super stickers. They are very much appreciated. They really are. I get half of those, right? Like half oh, yeah. the pro- half the proceeds yeah. go to the guests. <laughs> right? oh, yeah. so, um anyway, but uh where was I going with this? Um but Saint Augustine was showing me that Protestantism was just a LARP of genuine Christianity because Saint Augustine was and many of the fathers do this, but Saint Augustine is very powerful. He points to history, he says history proves the Catholic Church. He he says to the pagans. Look at all these prophecies saying that the Messiah would come and that his church would extend from one end of the earth to the other. The idols would fall. And so he's, he's saying this is what the Catholic Church is. And St. Augustine also seemed to seem to believe that the prophecies uh, prophesied heresy and schism as well. So here is something he wrote. Um, he wrote this to the people of Madaura. I'm not M-A-D-A-U-R-A. This is letter 232 if people want to look it up. It's so cool. And the last paragraph is about the fishermen. It's very cool. So if can I read some of this? Yeah, please. It's yeah, so I cool. He know, said, that's why, why I love when you're on. Um, he says, uh, so um, the divine scriptures have not been silent so far from this. All things come to pass exactly according to the predictions of scripture. He said, you cannot deny that you see the Jewish people torn from the abodes of their ancestry, dispersed and scattered over every country, now the origin of that people, their gradual increase, their losing of the kingdom, their dispersion through all the world have happened exactly as foretold. You cannot deny that you see that the word of the Lord and the law coming forth from that people, the Jews through Christ, who is miraculously born among their nation, has taken and retained possession of the faith of all nations. Now we read of all these announced beforehand as we see them. You cannot deny that you see what we call heresies and schisms, That is, many cut off from the root of the Christian society, which by means of the apostolic sees and the successions of bishops is spread abroad in an indisputably worldwide diffusion, claiming the name of Christians, referring to heretics, and as withering branches boasting of the mere appearance of being derived from the true vine. All this has been foreseen, predicted, and described in scripture. So I think that's pretty cool. But here's the final one. And St. Augustine sometimes has very long sentences, so I can't, I can't change it. He is what he is. He says, you cannot deny that you see some temples of the idols fallen into ruin through neglect, others thrown down by violence, others closed, and some applied to other purposes. You see the idols themselves either broken to pieces or burnt up or shut up or destroyed, and the same powers of this world who in defense of idols persecuted Christians now vanquished and subdued by Christians who did not fight for the truth but died for it and directing their attacks and their laws, referring to the emperors, against the very idols in defense of which they put Christians to death and the highest dignitary of the noblest empire laying aside his crown and kneeling as a suppliant at the tomb of the fisherman Peter. Yeah. Okay. So I want to say this is happening right before your eyes. And, but there, even, th- even think about he that. Says, He's describing a Roman emperor taking off his crown and bowing at the tomb of St. Peter. Yeah. You have to understand the king of kings, right? These <clears> other <throat> kings of the whole world are going, they would kiss the Pope's feet, but not just that. Even the fact that what, what the Jews endured 
after the resurrection, right? They had this protection. You think about, yeah, okay, so the, the temples were torn down, but all of those were part of uh, a chastisement by God because they had lost yeah. their faithfulness, things like that, right? But you have these stories, especially these apocryphal stories of Alexander, Alexander the Great going to the temple and uh, the, the, the priest coming out and reading him the prophecies of Daniel. Uh, about the statue with the head of gold yep. and the chest of silver and him saying, okay, I'm not going to touch the temple because of this prophecy that he read. Then after the resurrection, Jesus prophesies and says, not one stone will stand yeah. on top of another. And that prophecy comes true. Every single prophecy Jesus makes comes true. And you see it and you see the way the Jews are dispersed throughout the world and they're broken apart as a people. I think people see today that there are still Jews and they think that they are still a people not in the way that they were. Well, let's be careful on that because uh, the fathers are actually unanimous about this, that God disperses the Jews, but he preserves their existence as a oh, people. Oh, they, they have to be so that there's a version at the end. Yeah, 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 as a testimony. And I also think that they're being back. I don't want to switch to this topic right now, but... <laughs> their being back in the land is highly significant i don't think they're there by divine right um i'm not a dispensationalist i'm not a i'm not even a zionist but um but i do think they're there by divine permission there's a there's a line in our lord's words i think it's it might be luke 22 as well where he says um oh gosh it was something to the effect of you won't see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord and he talks about a time um, when Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, and he implies that they'll be they'll be back. Um, that that the times of the gen just saying hello, have a good night, schismatics. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> Daniel's the best. Daniel does the clip points his fingers and moves his hand while preaching like a proper church. Oh, that's thank you, Paul. But one guy had answer, asked a question I thought was important to answer. Let me. It was about Paul the Sixth laying down his uh, tiara. Yeah, we I'm discussed forgetting. that. Aaron, first, it was Aaron. Your first, your first episode on, we discussed that because I saw that as something hugely significant. Yeah, of of the church just laying down her authority <laughs> to the world. Well, her here's where I'm not. I, I agree. I think it was a horrible thing, and I think it was. There's two ways you can interpret it. I'm not going to presume to judge Pope Paul VI right now. Uh, I will say the negative way would be that it was Peter being a coward, which we know from Scripture is eminently possible. The other way to see it is um, there's a sense in which uh, Peter, our Lord, told him to put his sword down. And yeah. if he knew the time he would have known how foolish it was to raise his sword to defend Jesus from doing the very thing he came to do. So the popes may be, this is what I'm always open to. I think it's, and I find, frankly, I find great peace in all this because I think everybody wants to see everything the popes have done is just pure coward. Look, there probably is tons of cowardice. Don't get me wrong. And I lean toward that interpretation, but I think it's, I don't know. There may, if we're in fact in an eschatological time, there may be something to the fact of Peter recognizing that and putting down the sword this time. What that all means, I could be totally wrong. I'm not even saying this is the case. I'm saying I think it's possible. Well, there's also an element of Benedict stepping down, doing the same thing. 
right? I mean, yeah, in, in, in some kind of element, it's Benedict stepping down is him laying down. I think I think we did discuss this when you were on because in a real sense, he's laying down his office and surrender, you know, and yeah, yeah, seems to be something mystical going on there. Who knows what? But. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, I do think it signaled unofficially the end of Christendom. Yeah. Because, and, and Cardinal Manning talks about this, Henry Manning. If people want to look up on like archive.org, there's this amazing set of writing writings called the crisis of the, uh, the present crisis of the Holy See, I think is what it's called. When when did when did Car- when was Cardinal hmm. Cardinal Manning from? Like he pa- he passed away. England, and- England. I don't. I think in like 1880s, 1890s. Okay. But he wrote the present crisis in the 1860s. This was about ten years before the papal states were totally destroyed. And he talks about the providential role of the Pope's temporal authority, and he basically has several remarks in there. I have to. It's been a while since I've read it, but where he basically says. When the Pope's temporal authority is gone, that will be a signal that Antichrist is right around the corner. Um, and so, and part of the reason he was saying that was because he was seeing the church preeminently signified in the Pope um, as the catacon, as the restrainer. And I would point out to people the hermeneutic I've suggested restrain, release, return. I've talked about it in previous shows, I did a lecture on it. I would propose this, this hermeneutic for looking at scripture. There are many motifs in the book of revelation about a restraint coming undone whether it's uh the angels holding back the euphrates or or the pit from hell letting smoke coming into the temple or the dragon that was bound being unbound there are many or even the the seals of the scroll being undone there's many many motifs in the book of apocalypse about something that binds coming undone and so I do think at the very least, Paul VI, regardless of his motives, uh, him laying down the tiara was, it, it, by saying it's eschatological, it doesn't mean Antichrist is right around the corner per se, but it was an eschatological sign, I think, in the sense that it, it signaled that the times of the Gentiles were coming to an end. Yeah. And right around this time is when Israel, the Jews, regained sovereignty of Jerusalem for the first time in nearly 2000 years. I don't think that's a coincidence. And by the way, this isn't uh someone accused me of this being a hangover from Protestant. It's not. This is there's plenty of Catholics, some of the most traditional Catholics I know who've studied the saints, who say that it's 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 right there in Luke. Our Lord very clearly talks about the times of the Gentiles and during this time the Jews will not have Jerusalem until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Well, we're there, I think. Yeah. And so how long will it last? Uh, I don't know. I don't presume. Yeah, I mean, know. even just think on in terms of the gospel has now been preached to every corner of the earth. There is yeah. nowhere left for the gospel to go out. So yeah, that's right. Just, just on a natural level. Yeah. That's, that's right. something to think about, you know, that's right. Um, while we have a big audience, I want to just mention something. We're doing um, a monthly series with father Dave Nick's coming up. We're going to be doing it the last <laughs> Thursday of every month. And we're going to be discussing Catholic movies. We're going to pick a movie for each episode. The first movie we're going to be doing is A Man for All Seasons. We thought it was kind of timely, especially in this time where it takes a lot of courage to stand up for truth. And Father Dave Nix and I always kind of just discuss things like that, because you, especially that movie where you you think about how how flippant some of us are in this day and age about mortal sin, 
and how we we all kind of suffer from the sin of presumption of God's mercy and using the confessional as a revolving door. And St. Thomas More wasn't willing to tell one single lie to save his body and to save his earthly life because he thought one lie could damn him to hell. And we just don't even think like that as Catholics in the modern age. So that's something coming up on the standing up for the papacy. Yeah. Which previous, previous to that time, he actually leaned toward the opinion that the papacy was of human, not divine institution. He became convinced that it was of divine institution. Ironically, at the same time that Henry who had written defense of the seven sacraments against Luther became convinced apparently it wasn't of divine institution. So, yeah. 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 So that's the first movie we're going to discuss, but yeah, it's just, how are you coming along with that? uh, Your eschatological book. Because that's the one I'm so excited. So for. I have another one I'm going to write. I'm not going to say the title because I think the title is so perfect. I'll tell you in private. I might have told you in private. Oh no, I didn't. Not yet. No, we'll I think it's a great title. But uh, basically, I'm going to do. I've I've previously talked about the church being the third Jewish temple, um, and so I'm going to do a book uh, about um, all the typology, all the Jewish typology that led me to the church. And basically how all the typology from the Old Testament on, I've already worked out the chapter outline and everything. And uh, you're going to release that before the book on eschatology? No, I don't, I don't know when. I don't know when. I'm, I'm still I'm still working on a book with Scott Hahn right now, so I've got to be careful oh, um, on, the, on the American founding. Uh, I think we're going to make a few people upset with that one. <laughs> there's a, there's, there's a few things coming down the pike that I'm, I'm in the know. Okay. So a lot of people, yeah, it's getting more fun. <laughs> a lot of people have a, a, a lot of people have a hard time with Tim Gordon. Tim Gordon has something coming out soon. I cannot say what it is. But yeah. It is going to shatter the internet. <laughs> That's all I'll say. It all is right. going to be very big and people are going to lose their minds. Yeah. Um, you have things going on. How was, uh, how was the arc conference, man? Cause jo- Josh, was invited by Jordan Peterson to go to the arc conference. Um, I, I would have loved to go to, I hope that we're big enough one day that we get some invites to these things, because that was when I really would have loved to attend. What was, what was some of the, I, like? well, I met with Jordan privately last summer. I didn't mention it. I didn't, I don't mean, there's a lot of meetings I have. I don't mention publicly. Don't ever uh, tell them to Anthony then. Cause he'll mention them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, and honestly, part of the reason I don't do it, just to be perfectly frank, is for my own soul. I don't want vain. Yeah, don't want I don't want pride. There's no reason to. There's a lot of things I don't mention publicly precisely for that reason. I'm, I'm safeguarding my own soul because, frankly, I care way more about my soul than about you guys having the latest news. <laughs> um, and so, but I, but I, yeah, but I met with him. Um, now, if Anthony was willing to eat an Oreo, maybe I know. I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, honestly i throw a friendship out before i did that so yeah and he told me about the arc thing and it was going to be uh it wasn't called arc at the time he didn't have the name settled but it was going to be a counter world economic forum whatever um i met a lot of good people there i'm not going to give my full thoughts yet because they are still they 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 did a very professional conference um what i'll say is a lot of it was in my opinion, um, a lot of recycled classical liberalism. Yeah. Which I don't think um, is saving anything is going to save anything. I think it's at the root of a lot of problems. Um, And by the way, just so people know, (laughs) again, I could be wrong. I don't think Christendom's coming back either. 
So while I politically, you know, on a political philosophical level, propound Christendom and say, this is the fullness of the gospel, I don't think it's coming back. I just don't think that's the hour we're in. Um, Now, the people who assert it and think it's coming back, I'm also a little worried they'll they may end up tools of the antichrist. Um, but that's a whole other discussion. So my point <laughs> being, my point being that in saying, I don't think classical liberalism is going to fix anything. It's not because I think Christendom's coming back. I think there's a lot of naivete around that, you know, um, it was, it's very much the result of people being drawn to Jordan. I think Jordan's done so much good, you know, and last, um, last year when I did meet with him, people pray for him, please pray for him, especially with his wife converting, I think that's huge. When I met with him, I gave him a blessed rosary and I gave him a copy of St. Augustine's Confessions. Um, There are some details about our exchange that I'll keep private, Um, but um, I was a little bit surprised, but um, that's what I did and we're praying for him and there may be some meetings in the upcoming weeks and months. Uh, If and when it becomes appropriate to talk about, I will, but Pray the rosary for him because Jordan, um, I think Jordan has done so much good, but I think that I was following him for almost a year before he became really big. And I told people, you need to watch this guy because this is going to explode. And sure enough, it did. Jordan um, has done so much good. At the same time, I think those of us who've been following him for a long time are getting a little bit frustrated. Uh, yeah, I was going to say because, that. And this isn't meant with any animus toward Jordan at all. It's meant with pure... I, I, the man has done so much good. Uh, hey, any, you, of us, you, any of us would be sister, lucky. Your sister even mentioned that he played a big part in her conversion. Oh, yeah. I think, I think oh, he's yeah. opened a lot of people's eyes to... Uh, open people's hearts a little bit to be willing to consider the biblical narrative yeah. and to think about these stories as not just some f- stupid fairy tale that the ancients went by, but no, there's something very significant to them. But yeah, the frustration I completely understand as well. And I think the frustration is that it it does seem, and he said he's openly acknowledges it does seem that he he punts on certain things, mm-hmm. and yet these things are of ultimate moment. Uh, I will say that one of the things I did ask him about, I had an opportunity to ask him and I said, do you believe we have an eternal soul? And there were some other details I put in, but that was essentially what I asked. And, and again, it was, it was, it's above my pay grade. And I was very, very disappointed. And um, yeah, he talks about hell as if it's only something we can suffer in this life. He, he talks about hell as if, yeah. you know, uh, you can be living in hell now. And that's yeah. very true. You can be living in hell now if you're living with a particular worldview, but he, he's almost afraid to take it to its logical conclusion. Well, and some of the arc, some of what I objected to at the arc conference was there was occasionally a bit of, I consider utopian rhetoric about possibilities and the world we can have if we only willed it hard enough. It, it's very Pelagian in that sense. So, and everything's about material ends. Oh, yes. we could actually fix this if we could, you know, if we, because he's focused a lot on the climate change stuff, and he's saying he, it, everything's focused to a natural end. There was yes. two talks at that conference that I caught where the, the the only two people I heard talk about God were Bishop Barron and Jonathan Peugeot. Yeah, and um, you yep. said you didn't even see Peugeot's talk, right? No, I went. I well, I think it was on All Souls Day, so I was actually going to mass at that time. Okay, yeah, five yeah. minutes. Okay, so all that to say, um, 
Yeah, there's a lot. Jordan, I would say the the impact he's had is at least somewhat ascribable, less to insights on his part, as extraordinary as some of that is, and more to the fact that he's stating truths that for most of history have been obvious and undeniable, but which have gone, and he himself has stated this, have has gone so little stated and so infrequently stated that it feels like this earth shaking reality when you're first yeah. exposed to it. But, but it's not, I mean, it is in the sense that it's, it's reality. Right. But it, it's, it's, it's not like nobody, it, what the impression I get from, from a lot of these folks at the art conference and whatnot, you know, I like, do I like Douglas Murray? Yeah. Douglas Murray is, he's a British guy. Did I like Roger Scruton? Sure. Um, I on Hershey Ali. Yeah. She says some good things here and there again, Neil for, okay. Da, da, da. What all the, all these people seem almost entirely unaware of the religious foundations of the West. They seem almost entirely unaware of it, if not entirely unaware of it. And so many of them, they're working with the last 500 years at best. And I have other things I could say about this. I don't want to review. I, I take it very, people need to realize that like sometimes people have asked me, well, what are your thoughts about pens? And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to talk about my public thoughts on pens. You know why? Because I work for the man. And what yeah, would it say yeah. to anybody I work with in the future that I'm going to spill the beans at some point in some podcast? It's, it's ridiculous. I have a sense of honor about it, frankly. So the same thing with, uh, there are some conversations I have that I won't share, but my again, most of these people are are at at most the last five hundred years. There's there's no sense of grounding in the last. Yeah, they're all in the enlightenment. Yes, and so I think that's a huge, huge, huge problem. And um, it's almost we'll like it's almost like the rational atheists, like trying to go back to the rational atheist stuff, but adding in a little mix of little mix of God here and there and a higher being. It's, it's almost like AA. <laughs> yeah. Well, somebody said I can, I can hear Douglas Murray coming up with a witty response. Yeah. Well, you know, Christopher Hitchens was great at coming up with a witty responses, but he was still wrong. Yeah. You know, there's a lot that, that Douglas Murray says that is spot on, I think. And he, he admits that he is longing for, he's longing for something that he sees as only in religion, but he's, he can't quite get himself to believe it yet. Yeah. And to which I would say to him, well, there's some truth in what you're saying. You can't make yourself believe it. Um, yeah. God will give you the gift of faith or he won't. And um, it's up to you to assent to it or not. So anyway, um, there's a lot of these wonderful people, but they're just they're not grounded in what the West and what Christian civilization actually is. They're yeah. grounded in a lot. They're, they're, I would say they're still grounded in post-Reformation early modern myths. I think that there's still that's that's, that's a very occurring. that's a very that's a very good assessment of it. All right, so we only have two minutes left. Uh, the stream will cut off. Um, Josh, you you actually said to me before this, uh, dude, I don't know what we're actually going to talk about tonight. I said I'm never <laughs> ever worried about getting you on and having nothing to talk about. You're one of my favorite people to talk to. Um, you're also the one person that can out talk me. So, <laughs> but you say well, you know I joke with my friends. Most of the day, most days, I'm sitting quietly reading and researching. Yeah. So, so when when Can I actually have the chance, when people start asking questions, I've been I've been thinking all day, and I've been usually praying. And so, 
when the opportunity comes to actually talk about some of it, it's just like, blah, 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 you know, so well, I hope, I hope that we get you on again, man. I'm glad that yeah, you came on because I'm, I'm glad you came on, not just to promote a book, but just to have a conversation with friends. Barely yeah. talked about. Yeah. <laughs> not just promote a bookie. Yeah, no, because <laughs> I think, look, we're literally down to one minute, but I think a lot of people got a lot from this. I think anybody who stuck through this entire episode, this is a good one, man. It gave us, <laughs> like, we really did ponder some really deep things tonight. We do have to go. We have um, Eric Salmons on Thursday night. Uh, then we have Kale Zeldin coming up. But, guys, keep in mind, we do have that Father Dave Nix thing. Please, if you guys are able, please go support us on Locals, man. Rob and I really do want to do this more. I'm stuck working Saturdays still. So go buy Josh's latest book, Persecuted from Within. Endorsed really by Bishop up. Strickland. Endorsed Ironically. By Strickland. <laughs> uh, uh, so many people have endorsed it. Yeah. So uh, 20 seconds left. Uh, Josh, any parting thoughts in those 20 seconds? Pray the rosary, go to adoration, and maintain spiritual peace above all things. Yeah, guys, do not go anywhere. The church is not, you know, it's going through a little stubble. Oh, Rob, there's one thing that always, that one story I had to tell you seconds ago. And that was 10 seconds ago. Oh, great. Awesome. (laughs) So now now we're just with the the private group. No, actually, now we're the private group can't watch now. Oh, YouTube can. Oh, but YouTube is still streaming? YouTube still, yeah, man. It's so just locals. There that cut off. There's no cutoff. Who cares? We weren't going to the private stream. <laughs> the YouTube's. I was gearing up to leave I'm everybody in the tag in there. And here we were. We were going to have like a dramatic <laughs> ending and everything. No, we we could keep going on YouTube. It's just locals cut off. Yeah, we could. Already. But I actually have work in the morning, and I'm exhausted. And Josh is sick. And I don't know how um, you keep your schedule, man. I don't get it. Dude, I don't either. Well, he sits in a truck all day. That's all. That can be exhausting. Yeah, I'm up at 3:50 in the morning. My alarm clock goes up. I know. Oh, and the and we're fasting for St. Martin's Lent. The, the one cool thing I will say for everybody that's still sticking around, so many people dropped out. <laughs> the one thing I'll say is because I'm only eating one meal a day, and my wife is doing it with me, she has been this woman is so excited for dinner. The meals she has been cooking have been phenomenal. <laughs> she's like, she's doing it with me. So we can't eat all day. And it's, it's just, we're only on day two. I'm having carb cravings. Like you oh, cannot man. imagine. Man, well, man you're like, a laborer. So don't like, don't do it too much. Like, if like I had pistachio nuts during the day. So like I'll have a collation during the day, you know? So I have pistachio nuts just to give me something to get through the day. But I mean, okay. I normally I'd have an egg sandwich. I'd have a, oh, forget yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. So, this was great. How the saints endeared Christ is in the church for Marina. We will put that in the uh, show notes mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully we get you back on again soon, man. I love talking. Oh to you. yeah. No, it's great. Thank you guys. And all thank right, you man. all the audience there. I appreciate the encouragement. And um, yeah, yeah, dude, I can't wait. I love seeing everything you do, man. I hope you. I hope you continue to stay at your studies because some of, some of the best insights I've gotten are by, been by reading some of the stuff you've sent me. You know, I'll make a request if if you if if I can come on with Nick. I think it'd be fun. For oh, that'd be I, an amazing I, show. I would love to have the two of you on, man. Yeah. Yeah, All right, that would be I'll, great. I'll send you both schedules. And, and I will say, uh, last thing I'll say is on Twitter, I've seen a lot of conversions. And so people don't underestimate. Now, a lot of people say I'm charitable, I'm patient. Okay, but that doesn't mean I'm not direct. So I'm still very direct. But but I've seen so many conversions. And I, I was just told recently by this guy who goes to this big Presbyterian church in uh, Texas. He's an elder. 
And he said he and his entire family are now coming into the Catholic Church. So So I get private messages like that all the time. And I'm going to be calling this other guy. uh, I won't say his name, but he he, he's a Protestant guy, went to Protestant Bible school. And he messaged me privately. He's like, I don't know what it is. I'm still feeling this itch to come to the Catholic Church. I can't explain it, but I still have some questions and some issues. It's very nerve wracking for me. It's like, I totally get it. So he and I are going to have a call. So there's a lot of personal evangelism that has been going on behind the scenes because of interaction on Twitter. So if you have salty responses on Twitter, if if you offer to be available, it's really, truly amazing what can happen sometimes. So, you know, hey, somebody I had a Protestant the other day who was actually open to having a conversation. I sent them Scott Hans conversion talk and yeah. I sent them our Danielic mystery series. Yep, and they were yep. and they watched them both. So I mean, you really yep. do not you don't know where a conversation is going to go if you handle it right. Yep. So yep. Um, All right. I really I know you got to go. Stay on, but I have to, I have to get some sleep tonight, man. All so right. Thank you, guys. I will. I'll send Thanks, you and Josh. Nick both some dates. We'll figure something out, man. Sounds good. All right. All right, Bye-bye. guys. Thank you for joining.